Welcome to episode 70 of Honestly Unbalanced, a podcast where we chat to people who've tried to make your life a little bit better. This week, slightly different angle. We're chatting to someone whose topic of interest is something that's brought joy to many of us in our low moments, in our happy moments. Chocolate is the theme. Jennifer Earle started her food tour business, Chocolate Ecstasy Tours, back in 2005 and has become an internationally known chocolate expert and judge. She hosts a podcast, The Next Delicious Thing, which accompanies a blog of the same name, helping people know what food in London and beyond is worth their time and their money to seek out. We chat about chocolate as meditation, the benefits of good quality chocolate, developing the McFlurry. Yes, she was part of uh, the team developing new flavors of McFlurry. From food buyer to building a chocolate business, running chocolate tours in London. She's really honest about the mistakes she's made and navigated challenges through her business. And we talk about facing imposter syndrome and comparison-itis. So that's all we speak about. I'm going to leave you with one quote before we get started. Men like chocolate just as much as women do. They just don't feel the same guilt about eating it. So we dig into all these topics. Enjoy the podcast, guys. For so many years, I've been using Lifeform yoga mats. Long before I did any kind of work with them, they were the mat that I dreamt of owning and they eventually owned it and now I own a load of them. Why do we own so many? Because they are awesome. They are super sticky. They are great for the environment. Hang on, super sticky as in they have good grip, not that they, I've just let them be dirty. But they are great for the environment. They have great grip. The lines on them are really useful for finding your unique uh, yoga alignment. So yeah, Lifeform mats are wicked and you can get a discount on them, 10% off with code HUSTLER, capitals, H-U-S-L-E-R. And if you want to find somewhere to practice on your new yoga mat, you can join our online platform at thehustlers.com. Remember, no T in hustlers, uh, thehustlers.com, where we have hundreds of classes, of sound journeys, of meditation. You get access to a whole back catalogue, but a class a week. And with code THEHUSTLERS25, all caps, you can get 25% off a 12-month membership, single payment, or a recurring monthly payment forever or until the moment you cancel it. So yeah, good deals for you there. Enjoy the podcast, guys. Honestly okay? unbalanced. You eat chocolate every day from what we every understand. Every single day. Literally oh every single day. Multiple times. I, well, and, and, and you are, you are tiny. I was thinking that. That's my first yeah. question. How uh, do you do it? What is your secret? <laughs> Sorry, Adam, but I just really need to know this. <laughs> yeah, I do get asked that a lot. Uh, I, I think it's a lot of reasons, but one of the, one of the kind of more obvious ones is the kind of chocolate that I give people on the chocolate tours and chocolate tastings is all really high quality. So it's really high in cocoa. And because as I'm sure, you know, cocoa is really good for you mm. when you, your body like has a limit for how much it can have. And so when you have a couple of squares of chocolate, they can be really satisfying. Whereas if you eat a piece of cake, for me at least, I look at, I want more cake yeah. <laughs> and another piece of cake or and biscuits and those kind of things are designed so that we eat more and more of them. Most of what I do, I love cake and baked goods as well, but when you have chocolate, you get more satisfied with fewer calories. It's like more satiating. So I think that 
helps a lot. Is that like, only good quality chocolate though? So if it was, let's say, a, a Cadbury's dairy, dairy milk, and yeah. I love Cadbury's, I'm from Birmingham, and I spent many, many, much of my childhood in the Cadbury Social Club. Uh, with the, just for context, <laughs> that's not like a, a kids play group. That is uh, essentially a pub. Uh, a but, pub? Okay. Yeah, it's like a social for people that worked in Cadbury's. Oh. But anyway, so I deviate. So, they- so, so that's, they're quite sugary, I guess, and I could keep eating chocolate. And it's yes. because it's bad quality chocolate, full of sugar. But you're saying because it, I guess cocoa is a natural, a natural substance that our body has kind of got used to over time. Perhaps we can actually we we have the ability to know when we've had too much. Well, it's actually because it's so high in like antioxidatory capacity that there's only so many of so much of those things that you can eat without feeling sick. Um. <laughs> and so it's a bit like. Um, like bitterness so that that you get from coffee and red wine and dark chocolate is all protective elements in those plants to stop people eating them. But those are the same reasons that, as I understand it anyway, uh, that it helps in your body because it helps to like attract all of the things that you want to get rid of and helps to expel them from your body. And so the reason you can't eat a lot of cocoa is because of that. Like, so if you try and push past where it's uncomfortable eating like chocolate, but I'm talking high cocoa content chocolate, then you will like you'll be on the loo. <laughs> Sorry, it's pretty mm. not a nice image, but it's, it's it's a laxative basically. So you'll feel quite unpleasant, um, and so that's why you can't eat a lot of it. So in small amounts, it's really good for you, and your body knows what that amount is. Whereas with sugar and things like that, you don't have that same off switch. It's just more and more because sugar is fuel, and you're like, well, I obviously need this fuel, and fuel is good, and you know, fruits were rare, so we Ooh, would yeah. eat sugar and we binge on sugar quite easily. Mm. Yeah, if we found a tree, we would uh, demolish it, wouldn't we? A Our fruit ancestors tree. would. If we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so with so when I say good quality chocolate, I what I actually mean is high cocoa content chocolate. If it's you can have high cocoa content chocolate, so like a seventy percent bar, that might taste terrible. So it wouldn't necessarily be good quality. Um, I would suggest eating better quality tastes better and is generally better and throughout the supply chain as well so people are being looked after and the environment's being looked after as well the more taste you have from a chocolate as well the less likely i think you are to eat loads of it so it's more interesting to savor and have slowly and back to like the mindfulness chocolate's an amazing tool to be mindful if you're not into meditation just having a good quality piece of chocolate, smelling it and then putting it in your mouth and resisting the urge to chew it and just slowly letting it melt. It gives you feedback in a way that just sitting and being silent does, doesn't. And that means you then can hopefully associate that moment of stillness with the pleasure of the flavor that you're getting from chocolate. Mm. What a nice way to look at it. Do you do, do you do that as part of your practice when you're eating every day? Uh, Nope, no, <laughs> I just <right>. eat it. <laughs> yeah, so I say you can do that. I do sometimes, but no, this is not how I like find my stillness. I just enjoy chocolate. But mm. I know that it works for people that they, where they're struggling to be still, that bringing chocolate into it can can make it easier. You've got something to focus on. I love that. Like having a chant. You sent us like a little box ages ago. I forget oh what it was. Gosh. It was a tasting, wasn't it? Oh my God, it was and so yeah, good. It, 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 it looked beautiful. It was presented beautifully. Uh, and I guess, yeah, you couldn't, I would feel very guilty if I just stuffed it in my mouth and consumed it, then took another one. And I guess subconsciously, I did take more time to appreciate it more. 
And in the scheme of the chocolate I ate, that was quite a small amount. But I felt good. I enjoyed it. I, 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 yeah, I, I ate it relatively slowly, like bite by bite rather than a gulp. <laughs> and even if you didn't, like I always try and encourage people on the tours and tastings to like stop and think about it. And usually there's so much more interesting flavors. So just chocolate in itself has over 600 different flavor molecules that you can taste. And that's just pure chocolate. But the ones I was mostly sending for the tastings had fillings and really interesting flavors that we were trying to guess. In If you take that slowly, you get so much more from it. And I think even, so even if people don't do that, they still find that it's more satisfying. So I always promise people they'll be completely full of chocolate if they come on a chocolate tour with me. And they're really surprised. They're like, you can't, no, I'm Uh never gonna get full of chocolate. And then halfway through something like, how many more stops do we have? And you add it up and it's not a huge amount of chocolate. Like I could easily eat 250 grams of dairy milk in a day when I was at university. Mm. But now I would struggle to eat 100 grams of a 70% bar Mm. because you just, you don't need it. Um, I don't know. It's a lot of weird science behind it, but you genuinely would struggle to eat that much. So if you switch the kind of chocolate that you're eating, then you get that sweetness and the satisfaction of the flavor that people look for, you know, when you want something sweet after dinner or after breakfast or lunch, which is generally how I roll. But when it's chocolate, it's like it's you eat, you get fewer calories, I guess. Speaking about flavor, I did one of your amazing online chocolate. I don't know if you call it at all, but it was one of these amazing online chocolate tasting things in the lockdown. Um, And although I enjoyed every single chocolate so much, I actually found it really difficult to decipher flavors. I was loving every second, but you know, is that something that you have always been really good at, kind of knowing what, what flavor is which, or is that something you've developed over the, your years in the food industry? I'd say both. I do not come from a foodie family at all. Like my mum thinks everything tastes amazing pretty much. <laughs> and, my, and my dad hadn't eaten like hummus or goat's cheese or oh. anything till like a few years ago. And he's, you know, he's over 80 now. And, but I did always have a hypersensitive sense of smell which my parents would tell me I couldn't possibly, like they weren't wearing too much perfume. Like I couldn't possibly have smelled my dad's cigarette yet because he'd only just lit it on the other side of like the house. Um, But I, yeah, I've always been super sensitive to smell and I've always been really greedy at tasting things. Like I like novelty. And so I want to try every single thing. And I think one of the things that makes you a better taster is having that reference for flavors. So like I said, with chocolate, you have over 600 different flavor molecules and some of them you could kind of go, oh yeah, that tastes like a plum or it, and like more like a sour plum or it tastes like a fresh raspberry or a dried raspberry. And so the more you have that lexicon for what each of those flavors tastes like, the easier it is to identify. Having said all that, it's still hard to guess flavors in chocolate. And mm. especially because a lot of the chocolates that I was sending out for the tastings had more than one flavor in them so it might have been like lychee rose and raspberry Mm. and when you combine those flavors like being able to extract and figure out what exactly is in there is is really tricky so i have days where i'm like yeah i got it and then there's other days where i'm like i have no idea (laughs) so it's it definitely depends but it the more you practice with guidance especially like anything like having a coach to guide you through tastings and recognizing what over roasted chocolate tastes like or moldy chocolate tastes like is helpful so did this did this like unnatural sense of smell 
Did that? Did you think, wow, I may as well make a career out of this and use it in my <laughs> career, or or did it kind of lead to a passion? I, I don't think I even considered. I was just like, there's probably some jobs I can't do with this like hypersensitive sense of smell. Uh, but no, I would like. I didn't even have any concept of the jobs that I've done in my career. Some of them I've done some, you know, I've waitressed and done all sorts of jobs that I knew and understood. But I remember flipping through a careers book in high school and it was like accountant, actor, like it was just all the jobs people had heard of. And when I um, came back to the UK and saw a job for a food buyer and I was like, I love to buy food. My favorite thing is to walk around the supermarket and buy food. Like this sounds incredible. And why didn't everybody tell me this? Because I knew I didn't want to be a chef because I'm not very neat. And the thought of like making the same food over and over again just wasn't appealing. But I didn't know of any other jobs in food. So I was just like, well, I'll study like business and psychology because I like both of those things. But I had no idea that I could do something else in food. Amazing. And then, so how, and then at what point did this become what it is now, this kind of passion for chocolate? I, 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 you, I read that you worked with McFlurry on the journey there. Were you developed McFlurry? Yes. Thank you for that. I did. <laughs> <laughs> not, the, not the original one, just some of the flavors. Yeah, so how, how did food buying turn into the chocolate? Did, did, when well, did you diverge to chocolate? The chocolate tour started first. So I had always wanted to have my own business and I had it in my head that I should probably start a business before I got a comfortable job. It might've been just a cop out for not looking for a mm -hmm. job, but um, I had read something that said that if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your mm. life. Um, you know, sounded great <laughs> but, <laughs> and is very misleading. But I wrote a list of all the different things that I loved. And I love talking to people. I love learning. I love London, walking around. I love chocolate. I love all food, but like chocolate is pretty incredible. I was very nervous about trying to have a business around chocolate because I thought that there was a risk that it might become too associated with work and then I would lose the pleasure. And I, mm. so I was like, oh, I'm not sure I want to do this. But of all the different ideas I brainstormed. I basically, I had no money and I had no particular like experience. I was like, I could do chocolate tours. I could walk around London and chat to people and show them spots. And so I naively also thought because everybody loves chocolate, I would be busy immediately and it would be an instant success. <laughs> so naive, I had no idea about how long things take to market. And yeah, it was, it was- Is this, um, is this it was pre social media? Process. There was no social media. This was in 2005. Mm. So like Facebook only existed for colleges, I think. And um, yeah, Twitter maybe just started. So I was using Google AdWords to begin with. Um, and then I did get social media accounts, which is why I managed to nab at chocolate doors for everything. But I like, I, I basically, I went and got jobs. <laughs> I'm like, so I got part-time jobs initially and then I went and got real jobs. And so um, I briefly worked in, digital marketing and then I saw the food buying job and I applied for that and I think because that was at M&S and they looked at the fact that I had started a business so I clearly knew something about well I should hopefully know something about finances and I had a business degree but also was super obviously super passionate about the food so um 
I got in there and and then from there learned about food development jobs. And I was like, this is even better. Like you get to just play around with recipes and taste things all the time. And so I started looking for food development jobs and moved from M&S to McDonald's to uh, not just design McFlurries, but that was when I arrived. They're like, you know, chocolate, we're going to give you the entire responsibility for developing the summer and promotional McFlurries and working on maintenance of them. And which, stuff. One, so, which one are you responsible for? Um, the chocolate fudge brownie McFlurry is the one I'm most proud of that ended up being like the second best seller and um, just came in right near the top. And the, I think some of the galaxy ones, the raspberry oh, flake, um, Twix, I don't know if Mars ever launched, but I created it. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of really cool ones. I felt this is a side question, uh, sorry, deviation. Some chocolate bars are kind of marketed towards men and some more towards women. So you said Galaxy then, and that reminded me of an exercise I did at university. And I forget the context of it, but it was a blind test and it was working out is do men prefer like the Yorkie and do females <laughs> tend to prefer the Galaxies? Uh, is, it, what, is there anything in that? Is it just pure marketing? Do men generally prefer darker or heavier chocolate? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, completely marketing. So having done tours now for 17 years, well, I mean, there was a gap in COVID, but I did the online tastings and just, it's been fascinating chatting to people. One of the first questions I ask people, I always ask people to introduce themselves with their name, where they're from and what chocolate their favorite is, or, you know, even if they can let me narrow it down to milk, dark or white. And it varies so much. And I asked them again at the end, which was their favorite that they tried today. And the spectrum of what people enjoy is amazing. But what I do absolutely know is that men like chocolate just as much as women do. On the tours, it's what well, was always more women because men didn't come with their mates in the same way that women did. They only really came with their partners or perhaps with the mother. But they were often in the couples, it was the men who was more obsessed with chocolate than the woman. I think men just don't talk about it in the same way that women do. And they don't feel the same guilt about eating chocolate. But absolutely, men enjoy chocolate. There's some that don't, of course, but... Yeah, sweet, meat, milky, dark. What Everyone would, likes everything. What would you say was your the most challenging part of starting a business and building your business? That's a really good question. I so I started the I started Chocolate Ecstasy Tours in two thousand and five, and then I always knew that that was going to really probably only be a lifestyle business. Like it wasn't something that I could scale and run around the world at least not in the way that I wanted it to be quite special and considerate of the shops and have small groups. And so in 2014, I think I had an idea to run a self-guided tour. And so I set up another business called Taste Tripper, which then I closed three years later. And so I learned a lot again mm -hmm. about running a business and, and made lots of mistakes with that one. And I think for me personally, marketing and getting the word out has been the challenge it's not something i particularly enjoy doing in a strategic way like i love um i love chatting to people and kind of spreading the word like in a, in a smaller way but actually like having a strategy that considers like what's worth spending money on and, and i've never spent any money on since the initial google ads i've never spent money on advertising and i think that's probably been kind, kind of limiting so yeah, for me, but I feel like that's kind of quite personal in that. And so I would say like figuring out what your 
not as good at or interested in doing and finding people to who do have those skills to yeah. partner with or pay. So if I start another business, which I would like to at some point, I would probably only do it with a co-founder that had complementary skills because I think I see that a lot in the chocolate shops as well. The ones that have been, at least from an outward perspective, but I kind of know some of them personally, the ones that have been successful financially have been the ones where there's been two people from the beginning and one of them has been the creative chocolate person who like can make the chocolates and then the other person is the person who is more business minded so and knows how to particularly marketing like knows how to get the word out is happy writing newsletters or doing ads or pr or whatever it is that their methods that they're going to use those are the ones that that have been successful you occasionally get individual chocolatiers who happen to have come from a business background so they can or you know, they, they manage but they're still like very much I worry about how they might be able to scale mm. um so it's harder because anyone who's remotely kind of self-employed you need to be so good at so many things don't mm. you know and yeah. and actually the people that succeed aren't like in, in a yoga context it's not the the best yoga teacher isn't by any means the most successful one it's probably someone who's in like the top i guess the top 20 percent, but who also has top 20 percent skill on social media and top 20 percent skill on communication mm. and maybe top top 20 percent skill on remembering the names of students <laughs> it's all those yeah. those things it's all the little things that help but yeah certainly i agree with the idea of actually not doing it all alone mm. yeah can you, it, can... and it's hard because like it, especially if you're if you don't have a business which you know has a big exit like or has a big like opportunity for income to find two people who are able to potentially sacrifice while you grow something mm. if you can't get outside investment like it really is it used to be i think there was a period where through social media you could grow something without having to um have a lot of like money or spare time yeah and i don't feel like that's quite the same way and so now we're i know maybe it's a bit of a limiting belief but i worry a little bit that we're now back into a position where it really helps the more privilege you have the more you know, you can live with your parents or you can, um, you've got some other way, some mm -hmm. other means of financial time support. But yeah, on maybe the, there'll be some more shaking it up. But yeah, on the social media side of things now, it's so hard for anyone to find significant growth unless you have mm. it already and you have that reach or you're yeah. willing to be a full-time social media content creator. Because of course yeah. it's a good content that stands out, but to create the content now, you, you need more than a phone. You need a whole camera set up and camera team mm. to create a, and writers yeah. <laughs> yeah i think it's i think it's the time like the just the time to come up with ideas and create it and film it and because it now especially now being video is so important like that takes time longer i think to edit a photograph i'm normally another person yeah. Like I have to get Persuade Holly and you don't like cameras, do you? Oh, this is not one of my strengths at all, no. I'll say, really? say to Holly, no. Holly, can you just film this? This is a framing. <laughs> can you film this? Then I'll give her the camera and then oh. suddenly there's like a fire extinguisher in it out of nowhere, a bin, <laughs> rubbish on the floor. It's not yeah. one of my strengths, I, okay. Um, I thought you meant being in front of the camera. I'm like, you're great at that. But oh. I, yeah, my I've got nobody in my life that can, um, that can take, that can... I mean, I had an assistant for a while and she was great, but even then, like, I'm like, oh, just this way and this way. It's really, I think if you look at the people who are really successful on Instagram where they're in the photos, they're very often have a partner who's a photographer. Yeah. Oh, 
that's, and, and that even if they're not taking all the photographs, they've helped them develop the eye as well, I think. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> how, how but that's, you- that's not just be a criticism. I think that they're using the strengths that they have, like mm. using the resources is important. And if you're, because I think some people do just do videos like on TikTok, TikTok, where you just talk into the camera and mm. there is no editing and you're being authentic and just sharing. You're either, you know, interesting because you're different or you're interesting because you're funny or you're interesting because you're really knowledgeable and you don't necessarily have to have all the like expert yeah, all the editing. Frills. You've got a small so person just, you can train up now, don't you? You've got what, a two-year-old, three-year-old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nearly three. Yeah. Only a matter of time. Get She's involved. desperate to take photographs. Oh. I want to take it. Oh, there you go then. How did you navigate? Yeah, not, you're not touching that camera yet. <laughs> how did you navigate um, uh, COVID and lockdown with your your tours? To, how did yeah? What happened to your business during that time? Okay, so that kind of went funny, but oh, I think I got it. Did you hear the question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. If I didn't, just you can ask it again. <laughs> right. Uh, not well honestly um i would yeah i would i was very envious of friends who had maternity leave so they could completely stop and be with their babies not to say they all they had an easy time of it but i found it really hard i kind of just slowed down i had a great team running the tours but i hadn't been able to get anyone who could and do the admin and I was like oh it's not too much time I can do it when she naps and like that was just so naive (laughs) like I just didn't have any real understanding and I don't think anyone does until they go through it but how and I and also it's different for different people I I not to say that everybody's experience will be the same but I didn't appreciate how how much it would just how intense it would be and how much I should have been just resting when when I had the opportunities rather than having to like open my phone or my laptop and respond to people and I definitely like in that sense took my I I, I was only being reactionary in my business and so I did see sales decline um I mean she was born in June 2019 so obviously then COVID happened anyway um so everything stopped (laughs) then and like sales completely disappeared um but they were declining because I was only being reactionary and I kind of had to be okay with that but it was frustrating being in that half world where I was trying to keep my business going but not properly I mean I probably should have just stopped it but it's really hard to stop something that you love and that and I was providing work for other people as well so Mm. yeah I I would definitely say to anybody who is self-employed um that whatever help you can afford to get whether it's you know roping in family or paid help then do that or finding seeing where you can pass on your um what work you've been previously doing in your business to other people or um or just stopping if it's something you can stop and take a break and i do think you can stop things and start them again like it's mm. not necessarily going to ruin your business if you close it for a period it depends obviously what kind of business you have but I would, I, I would kind of regret not having more time with Maya. But then because of COVID, I had April, May 2020, where I didn't, for the first time in seven, like 15 years, I didn't have to check my email because I had an autoresponder saying there's no tours, yeah. tours right now. And this yeah. is like, you know, we'll, we'll start honour them later. But 
there was nothing for me to say to people apart from that. So it was really nice. Kind of just, good timing <laughs> in a way. A delayed maternity leave for yeah. two months before I then started doing the online tastings. And <laughs> I can't help myself. And, and you, you now do judging as well, don't you? Yeah, I've been a judge since the beginning of the awards, um, which is really fun. What awards um, are these? I've just judged. For listeners. So I, um, I, the International Chocolate Awards and the um, Academy of Chocolate Awards, where I'm a grand juror and like a technical expert. And then I also judged the Great Taste Awards and the Q Awards, and I've judged the Witch magazine before, and the Brazilian Chocolate Awards. Like, yeah, that's a lot. And how yes. like, how did you get there? Did they find you? Did you have to apply for it? Was it just your name preceded you at this point? <laughs> By the time the awards started, I had already been doing the tours for a few years, and so there was a real interest in having people who knew the chocolate industry but didn't work making chocolate. Mm. Um, so yeah, I got invited right from the beginning. I know people, other people who get invited sort of more recently tend to either be chefs or food writers or somehow working in the food industry. And for the International Chocolate Awards, if you go through the their associated training, then you typically get invited because they know that you've got the requisite knowledge. So if someone's interested, that would be a good way to... to like sneak through the back door to not mm-hmm. necessarily work in the industry but get oh, to be able oh to be a god judge. i've just and it's great like <laughs> but it's also a lot adam's knocking Sorry, things over knocking. again this is, I, so having a day of knocking everything look, over today everything's going wrong i just taught a class my lefts and rights were all over the place which never happens really? that's, yeah it's not a thing i've, I've probably broke about 60 pounds worth of equipment this morning <laughs> that is oh, irreparable <laughs> oh no. it's just not one of those oh, those god. mornings but let, so this podcast we kind of we talk about it as if you know we're talking to people who've spent their time trying to make your life a little bit better and i'd I'd love to talk about the kind of the psychology to some degree of chocolate and why you think it actually uh it actually brings people joy i know that about your podcast and so i definitely felt some imposter syndrome with thinking well how do i make people's lives better because i there are days even where I sometimes wonder is what I'm doing too shallow, just feeding people chocolate. It doesn't really feel like I'm changing the world in a way that I would like to. And I think the world kind of needs, but then I realized like even like films provide pleasure and a moment of distraction and perhaps education. And so running a chocolate tour, I do kind of feel proud of because people stop and it's a couple of hours where I encourage them to look up and slow down while they taste the chocolate. And rarely do people take their phones out, which is so nice oh. to just have like three hours of connection with people talking to them and being present. And also what I feel part of the reason that I started the chocolate tours in the first place was because I was really frustrated with what chocolate was generally available. And I felt that a lot of the more expensive chocolate seemed intimidating and kind of potentially pretentious. And I wanted to help people understand why it cost more and why it was worth spending money on. So doing that in a fun way that didn't, like wasn't intimidating. So not we're gonna sit down and do a chocolate tasting, which like now I do those and generally people are much more into food and are up for something like that. But sort of 15 years ago, that would have sounded very serious. So doing a walking tour of chocolate was a way to kind of like get people who are Cadbury and Galaxy lovers on to wander around and like hopefully blow their mind by sharing with them chocolate that is so much more 
exciting in flavor and more satisfying. So it might cost more, but you don't need to eat as much of it and you'll feel better for it. And you'll be helping the cocoa farmers and the environment mm. by choosing to purchase this kind of chocolate. And um, I'm genuinely like, you know, people want to go back and eat Mars bars. Like that's, I'm not here to judge, but I hope that I get lots of emails where people are like, I can't eat, I can't eat this anymore. And I'm like, I'm sorry, not sorry. But I wonder if you could kind of compare that to the difference between, let's say, you know, sometimes hourly a sandwich from Pret for lunch. Uh, and then other times I'll go for a really nice meal and enjoy that. You know, they serve almost different purposes. One is about the being present with the people I'm around, really savoring good food. One is simply because I need some energy and some fuel. And would you say that's a similar separation? There's sometimes people want to just appreciate the chocolate and the taste and you're, in, you're allowing them to realize that is something that can be done with chocolate. Whereas maybe previously the chocolate was just something to have as the treat, the, the dessert, the bit of sugar after they've eaten their pret sandwich. Um, I'm not sure that's quite the analogy I would use. So okay. I would consider Pret something more like a kind of premium supermarket, <clears throat> like a fair trade supermarket chocolate. So it hits certain criteria in ethics and, but it's kind of cheaper and less interesting. So you can enjoy it without like feeling like you need to totally appreciate the pleasure. <laughs> Should we go for like a, a Boots meal deal instead, which is kind of mainly what I ate as a I, like early no, 20s? No, I, I mean, I'm not sure about the ethics of the Boots meal. I'm, I'd say more like a chicken shop on the street, which okay. like, you know, how are they charging two pounds for like a bucket of chicken? Uh, well, you know, like a couple of chicken wings. Like that to me is just like, there is something seriously wrong with the supply chain and somebody is getting shortchanged to be able to, if the chickens, if nothing else, to be able to charge two pounds for fried chicken. And also like the, the health, things like making something so unhealthy so cheap is damaging to everyone really because it you especially when it's priced so that teenagers children can yeah. afford it on their own after school and and that's not going to help their brains and bodies function in the best way and it also means that you, then you set up your palate so you're expecting food to taste so salty so mm. um fatty that then it's harder to appreciate foods that are not like that and you end up with challenges in health, like not necessarily like being heavier, but you know, you can, you can be unhealthy and be skinny. So it's, I think that's my issue with the kind of confectionery chocolate. And I'm not saying that like the, those, the cheaper chicken serves a purpose for people who can't necessarily afford it, or they just need food right now. And it's a like occasional treats, like if you get pleasure from it, but if it becomes something that you're consuming habitually, it's not good for the supply chain and it's also not good for you. And I feel it's the same way with confectionery. Like it's not good for the supply chain, for the environment where the trees are grown, for the farmers growing the trees. And it's also not good for you because they are higher in sugar and there's like um, uh, flavorings and other ingredients that are just not like certain fats that we don't don't our bodies from what i understand don't absorb as well as kind of more natural fats got like to keep this in mind butter. next time i reach for like the orange maltesers <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm interested just to loop back around to what you were saying um earlier on in the episode do you feel that because you've made chocolate your job it, it ever takes any kind of joy or pleasure out of it at any point or do you still get maximum joy from it i still absolutely love oh, it i oh, think good. it's just it's so there's always new chocolate to try it's always there's always new things to discover and i think 
I mean, the eating chocolate bit isn't technically the bit that I get paid for. So I'm guessing for you guys as well, like doing yoga for yourself is um, still hopefully enjoyable. Yeah. Whereas like maybe you don't want to go to a class because you'd rather be lying in bed Mm -hmm. and hopefully you still enjoy it the same way I do with the tour. Mm -hmm. There's days when I don't, I think in the morning I'd rather be doing something else. But usually when I go, I still really love the tour and it's nice to meet new people and eat more chocolate with them and see them be happier and feel better. And yeah, so I, I still, I still love it. Like there's definitely days where it's a job, but the actual chocolate itself, I'm more obsessed with than mm-hmm. I was at the beginning. What's the weirdest kind of things that have happened on a tour? Like any, <laughs> any really odd questions or complete misconceptions <laughs> that people have had? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, I had one, I had one man join his wife and was just like, I'm not going to eat anything at all. And that was strange for me because normally people come, he just doesn't like chocolate at all. <gasps> oh no, I tell you a better story. I, <laughs> grab that one. <laughs> I had someone come on a tour once, a really lovely woman, and she like, pulled me aside at the beginning and she said, I'm allergic to chocolate. I was like, okay. She's like, it makes me go red and I sneeze like, a lot. And she's like, but I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, I love it. And so I just wanted you to know, so you didn't think it was weird that I was sneezing a lot. I'm not sick. (laughs) But it's just like, it makes me sneeze. And so she was sneezing throughout the entire tour, but she was grinning and it was, um, yeah. And she's not the first, like, so I've since found like two other people who have this same reaction to the theobromine, I guess, in chocolate and that makes them sneeze. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, Imagine being allergic to chocolate. Oh God! Well, thank you. At least didn't go to shock or like. <laughs> yeah. At least it was just it was just it was just sneezing. And yeah. tell us about a little bit of the podcast. Yeah. So you've got the podcast. You start you started that during the COVID period. Well, no, uh, well, I only started it in March. So I wanted to start it last March, but I'm sure, as you know, everything you want to do takes longer. And I, it's a weekly podcast, and because I record it weekly, they're not batch recorded. And I, that's why I waited to start it because I had other things going on that meant that I knew I'd have to stop and start. And I was really keen to just yeah, make it, I didn't want to miss weeks. So I am 17 episodes in and the original plan for the podcast was to bring back a newsletter that I wrote a few years ago where I would share the most interesting things that I tried in the previous week, which the aim was to connect people who love food to really great food to kind of be an edited version rather than with Instagram. It might just be on Instagram because it looks good, but I wanted to share the things that actually tasted good and then hopefully help these mostly smaller businesses to get more customers. So that was the original plan for the podcast, just to be like me talking for five to 10 minutes about those things. And I realized that might be a bit dull. So I started adding in like facts about the food or the, um, or the, the business. And now I've started doing some interviews because I want to really make sure that it, there's value in the podcast so people come back. So it's it's called The Next Delicious Thing. And what I want to start including mixed in with the bits where they're just kind of food facts and tasty things that you should go and look for is a place where people can come and find out about what different roles exist in the food industry, how they can get them, how much they could earn doing them. So if people Mm. are considering changing career and also for people who have food businesses to talk to people who um, 
can help them grow. So I might talk to a food journalist about what are some, what are the best ways to try and get get press for your business um, or a packaging expert to be like, what are the things I need to look for? So um, yeah, I wanna, I wanna help people who have small businesses making amazing things, just help figure, figure out and, and individuals who want to just be a freelancer. So they might wanna be a freelance photographer and what like what do you what equipment do you need how do you learn um what's the potential earning like how much would you in the beginning in the middle and like if after you've been doing it for 10 years if you're really good what's the potential so yeah i'm excited because i think that will i like i like i originally didn't want to do interviews because i thought that's so much admin and and pressure but actually i've really excited to do it i like talking to people it's fun yeah i think you've got pass i think only a tiny percentage it's either 10 or one there's 10 it's 10 10 what what are you gonna say only 10 <laughs> it's predicting what you're gonna say only 10 or one percent of podcasts get beyond 10 episodes oh I yeah it's 10 episodes 10%, yeah. i think it could be one percent and maybe the tiniest amount of podcasts get beyond episode Yay, 10 we so did you it. are you are well past that <laughs> i can see why though it's so much work and, oh the, and the rewards aren't always there, you know. There's no. the, the glamorization of you know the massive podcast with like, the Joe Rogan or the Tim Ferriss or the beautifully produced ones like by Malcolm Gladwell, which are essentially like TV episodes. Mm. Yes. They're so well done and well put together. And you just imagine the success of that, don't you? Mm. But it takes time. But my view is that as podcast hosts ourselves, you know, we have some good reach and it's nice and people listen to it. We spoil ourselves and we get to spend yeah. an hour just having nice conversations with, with really people. amazing people and, and that, we learn so much. It's like selfish almost, isn't it? Well, it's it? not purely selfish. It's not just like we've got one person listening. There are, <laughs> there are an amount of people listening to this. But we actually just enjoy it. for the sake. So this isn't ever designed to be, if it does, amazing, but a big money-making venture. No, we do, we do it. It's fun, no. isn't it? Yeah. That was the same. I wanted to do it because, like I said, I wanted to help you. And then I wanted to, like selfishly i wanted to build my own credibility and authority because i do um food innovation consulting and and the food tours i wanted to help like encourage people to come on yeah, tours with me so i did it for those reasons but i also just i wanted a challenge and like i said i like talking so i thought it would be fun to just do something different and i really enjoyed that in recording the first few episodes in just being forced to listen to myself and notice all the ands and so's and oh and um, and I, it, I, I like to think it's helped to make me more succinct and I probably should have done it years ago, but now I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I want to interview people. I want to like, I want to, I want to learn from other people and not just do research online and share what I've learned. So yeah, I'm excited to do, do more. It is, it is really fun. I've, I've read quite a bit about you sort of um, challenging yourself and it's, it's something that's important to you to be outside of your comfort zone a lot so is that when you sort of go through comfortable periods do you sort of think right on to the next challenge I need to do something to help me grow that's interesting yeah I hadn't really like consciously noticed that like named it in that way mm. but I definitely it's probably a competitive streak like I'm just like Oh, hang on, looking around, I'm like, hmm, <laughs> am I am I doing enough for my age? That whole comparisonitis thing, like, mm. like what what have I achieved? It's an, yeah, an ego. Like, what what else can I achieve to mm. to make myself feel like I'm taking up valid space? Or well, I don't know. It's a bit deep. <laughs> I like the deep bits. <laughs> but it's I, I but I just yeah I enjoy. I think it goes back to the fact that I'm really driven by novelty. So 
I I want to do something else. And I don't really have a um, an issue particularly with failing. I obviously don't want to fail. Um, who does? <laughs> but it's um, I kind of trust that things will be an experience. Mm. And again, I appreciate the privilege in like I, I'm trying things that within my level of finance and and situation I can afford to fail and I think like I said that's why I've never spent money on advertising and things because that was uncomfortable for me because I didn't want to put myself in a position where I might have to like go back to living with my parents lucky that I pretend well I mean they don't live in this country so (laughs) (laughs) you have to pay for a flight first but I like I I kind of have set my level of where I can fail and I think probably that's caused me to perhaps not try for really big things um but I do I do like to like push just to and to to a level where I don't I don't mind like I don't really have any shame in in oh that didn't work out um maybe I do but I don't know it's a nice yeah. way to look at it but it's all just an experience we'll do a little a few little quick fires now so is yeah. there anywhere in London and I don't want you to have to like pick a place but is there any particular chocolate you've tasted recently that is like wow and that was incredible that we that in are, London in that London yeah to. that our followers could go to and me Okay, um, so the guys are going to love me for saying this, but because it's recent and I was in Harrods on a chocolate tour last week and then I went back (laughs) on the Friday because I wanted to buy more. So they have these incredible um, sandwich, it's like a sandwich of chocolate basically with more chocolate in the middle. And and so the chocolate in the middle is mixed with like nuts and foyotine, which is like, like, if you think about Milfoy, it's like the pastry wafer type part. And um, it's just leaves of wheat mm. goodness. And that is ridiculously Moorish and delicious. It's not cheap. Oh my God. But, I'm salivating. Um, and is that, is that Harrods or is like an independent person in Harrods? It's actual Harrods. Oh. Is oh, it and the- um, William Curley does a Rocher that I also bought last week that is, they do it in milk and dark. They've actually and got a, a chocolate. I think it's called the Choco Bar in Harrods. Is that right? Is it still there? I think it's called that. Oh, you mean the the Ch- cafe upstairs? Yeah, they do like white chocolate fountains. Oh, yeah, that's gone. That's gone. Oh, that's so sad. But yeah. we'll go there for that thing that you just said. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so do a, few, yeah. a few little quick fires now. Oh, I thought that was a that was the start. Of yeah, the I did. Sorry, I gave a long answer. <laughs> that was the start of the quick fires. Okay, go. so actually, just veering away from chocolate a little bit, then what what do you do to relax in your spare time? Spare time? You know, I had a child, right? <laughs> um, you know, um, I um, yeah, I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yoga helps though I do like I try and do some poses every day and I I did start I started doing meditation tracks like YouTube free YouTube ones at the beginning of the year and I listened to your both your sound meditation and Aww. I followed lots of your online yoga Adam um, so yeah I, yoga and meditation I think often the meditation for me is like I'm lying awake anyway I might as well like get some benefit out of it <laughs> make it a meditation yeah. if someone wants to learn more about chocolate like what would be a good book to start with or resource to start with? Uh, my friend Dom has written a book. It's called Chocolate, Dom Ramsey. I can send you the link. And he, uh, that's really fascinating kind of overview of everything about how chocolate's made. Um, yeah, and then come to me and I can teach you. And so, yeah, so what have you got coming up that people could join you at or listen mm. to you on? I will actually be doing a another online tasting. So I was doing monthly online tastings that anyone could join. And I have 
stop those for the moment, but I'm going to do one or two a year, I think. And there'll be another one. There'll be one coming up hopefully in September with Harrods, which will be exciting. So someone from Alistair from Harrods will join the chocolatier and we'll have another guest and that'll be fun. And I also have tours and things as well. So yeah, if you sign up for the newsletter at the next delicious thing.com, then you'll find out. And your website is? So, oh, I have several. (laughs) um, Yeah, the next delicious thing.com and chocolateecstasytours.com. Cool. Awesome. Perfect. It's been a pleasure to chat. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm going to go and eat chocolate now. Yeah, sorry, I should have sent you some to like eat at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully you've got some in the house. No, go to the shops immediately. (laughs) Cool. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. Honestly, I'm balanced.